0: Hello, it's so good to have you with us here at Leadership for Sustainability. This is the podcast where we help you lead on sustainability to deliver results and make a real difference in the world. I'm Osbert Lancaster, longtime sustainability coach, consultant and trainer and co-founder of Realize Earth. In the last episode, I interviewed Toby Petroselli. A sustainability director with MUFG, the world's fourth largest bank, where she plays a leading role in financing the transition to a net zero economy. I found it really interesting and I hope you did too. But Toby's role is pretty specialised. Apart from being a fascinating glimpse into a different world, does her story have any insights and lessons for other sustainability leaders? We think it does. So I got together with my good friend and Realize Earth co-founder, Morag Watson, to discuss my interview with Toby and to draw out some of the insights and opportunities. Morag, it's great to have you on the show for the first time.
1: Morning, Osbert. It's great to be here. First chance at doing this. Absolutely.
0: So we've we've just been listening to the interview I did with Toby. And of course, Toby was on the podcast because you'd met her at a conference. I can see why you're keen to have her, but how did it come about?
1: It was a really interesting one. I was in Amsterdam at the Renewable Energy Finance Conference, which is where all the, the really big finance houses get together. They're all interested in investing in renewable energy and uh, the discussions about what's going on and particularly interest in renewable energy in Scotland, which is why I was there. And I got chatting to Toby over lunch. and I was really surprised to find that actually her job title was really different from everyone else in the room. She was sustainability rather than investment. And we got talking, I just found her story really interesting. So I thought it'd be one that people might like to hear. Well,
0: it was a great choice. One of the things I was really excited about hearing Toby talk was the fact that here's this massive finance house that is apparently got like, it's part of its core strategy is to help clients to decarbonize and to transition to a net zero economy. We know there's lots of stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about unless you're in that field. But I think it's just, it's just so exciting that that stuff is is happening.
1: I absolutely agree. And what struck me both from when I first met Toby and, and from listening to her talk in the, the podcast there is my experience of sustainability is people can often get ideas in their head about who will and won't care about it. And there can be a stereotype yes. that, you know, finance people who, you know, Toby is literally working for an institution that is investing billions of pounds and there's it's very cool and it's very clinical. And then when you speak to both Toby and hear about what she's saying, you, the word passion, she actually uses it. They're passionate about what they do and they care and they're, they're really driven to make a difference in the world, which for me really sort of counteracts that stereotype of what people can have of high finance. And it plays very much to you know, something that we and Realized Earth are really committed to, that the majority of people do care, that they are, they want to make a positive difference in the world. And given the opportunity, they do. And that's one of the things that really came through for me in the interview. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was sort of
0: obvious in a way, but here's this organization that recognizes that actually its biggest impact comes from its what it can support its clients to do. And she talks about this quite a lot later on about, you know, working with oil and gas and coal companies. And it's like a lot of people have got, no, we're not going anywhere near that. But interestingly, you know, it's about working with the clients. It's not about fussing about recycling in the office, which I think a lot of, I mean, yeah, okay, we're I'm sure most organizations are beyond that. But it's like, actually, for so many organizations, that biggest impact does come from how they can support their clients to make progress and to try to you know, be part of that transition as well.
1: Absolutely. And if we look at that diagram of the sustainability journey, those top ends where you start building partnerships to collaborate, to to be more in that regenerative, positive impact on the world space. Yeah, that's really coming through in what Toby's talking about there. And again, the idea that's coming through from her conversations that it's not either the bank trying to persuade the client or the client trying to persuade the bank. It's again, that, that piece of finding that common ground, finding that place of what they, they both care about and where they overlap is there. The other thing that came through to me is often when I'm speaking with people in the sustainability space, it can split into two. There seems to be a very technical, technological science-driven approach, which is very much about the metric and the numbers, which is definitely needed. And then that approach that we work much more with people on, on that sort of social networking, finding common ground with people and moving things forward through dialogue. And Again, what came through very clearly for me from Toby is how that blended together in their organization, that it wasn't an either or, and she talked about, you know, using AI to gather data and do analysis, but then using that as the basis for a conversation of how you discuss with the client and move things on. And for me, that was a really interesting way of how you leverage the power of both of those things.
0: Yeah, I thought that was great. I guess the other thing with the changing regulations around reporting and being listed on stock exchanges and stuff like that, I mean, that's not my field at all. But I was aware that there's a lot more going on in Europe than, you know, than, than in America on that. And the fact that she talked about, you know, that these changes that are coming, coming through at the Securities Exchange Commission that are really going to be changing the operating environment for companies and really sort of bringing the companies that are perhaps waiting to see which way the wind's blowing or like they're going to jump when it's required. That That's really shifting. We spend our time very much working with the organizations more at the beginning of that innovation curve, the early adopters, not so much the innovators and the startups, but there's early adopters that say, well, yeah, we want to do this. How can we do this? Is very much where Toby is, but those changing regulations and are bringing more organizations into that. And they're going to be much more on a sort of We need to respond to this and pick that up.
1: Yeah, definitely. That ratchet effect. You know me, Osborne. I am a policy nerd. This is the space that I work in, trying to get those changes in government policy and the rules and the regulations and so on. And it can often feel like a a really dry thing to do. You're literally putting words on paper and you often wonder if it has any real difference in the world. But then to hear it coming back in this way of how it's a a real powerful driver for others. So I know with the the people that we talk with and and work with in this space, we are a mix between the people who are doing that, you know, at the forefront, pushing forward action and, and people who are, you know, trying to write the regulations and, you know, to see that coming through in the ecology of how this works. And for me, you know, thinking back over what I've done with the sustainability work that I worked on. Some of the policies that we were dealing with, you know, the the UN stuff that was originally was coming through. You know, what was that about 2005, 2006, and being able to to hook on to that and then get action going in your organisation as a response. And as we're seeing more actions taking place in banks, if the banks weren't interested in doing things, it wouldn't be possible to push those regulations further. I think that's a really important thing for all of us to bear in mind when we do this work. Great phrase from Joanna Macy. Sometimes it feels like what you do is a drop in a bucket. And she said, flip that, it's a drop for the bucket. And when I think of all those things that people have been doing, and it might not seem like a big change to them, all coming together into this wider space and seeing this you know, societal change beginning to happen. That can really give power to people like Toby. That's, that's a really important thing for me to bear in mind and something I would encourage others to do as well. So something that struck me, Osbert, and I wondered if it, this struck you as well. Really, really interesting thing that Toby said, which is there's enough innovation on the table that can get us to 2050, which you're talking about that, that net zero target, achieving net zero. It just needs to be financed. That's very firmly my view too. We know the solutions. We're not waiting for amazing new things to be invented. We can get most of the way there with what we've got already if we just mainstream it and really push it.
0: I've heard that again and again in different forms for 20 years. I think what's really shifted over that period though is that if we'd been having this conversation 20 years ago, that we'd been doing all these things 20 years ago, the whole journey would have been so much easier. There's such a need for it to be all in now. But the real thing, I think, is that there's so much to be done now. Let's just get on and do it. Toby's coming at this from a financial point of view. Funding needs to be in there. But there's other things as well that need to be changed, need to be done. And waiting for the perfect solution, waiting for the new technology, waiting for everything to line up, that's not helpful. Let's do it.
1: The phrase that comes to me in this one is, don't let perfect be the enemy of progress. And yeah, absolutely, things aren't perfect. And- Yes, we could improve them, but no, I I completely agree. The tools are out there, pick them up and start using them. And it's something that also really, really, I find very heartening. Whenever I'm having conversations with people, you know me, Osborne, I'm a total nerd. I always love to find new ideas and just the level of knowledge and expertise that's out there. And every time I've gone looking for a solution for a problem. Sooner or later, somebody has probably invented it somewhere. So often it's like digging out those solutions rather than the idea they don't exist. But the one other thing that Toby talked about, which also really excited me, in a slight contrast to to saying we have the tools on the table, is also that dollars being spent in innovation hubs. Again, this is something we've talked about before and in the work that we've done with change of those different roles that people play, where you have those innovators creating those great new ideas, and then you have people finding them and sort of mainstreaming them and taking them out there. So be interested in your thinking on, on where innovation fits into all this and what you took from what Toby was saying around that. Yeah, I think innovation is a weird one because I think it's really important
0: for so many levels, but it can also be a distraction. I think particularly at the policy level. A sort of government policy level. I mean, carbon capture and storage is a, is a case in point. I'm sure for the, a lot of the scientists and innovators involved, it's like an amazing technical problem that they're passionate about it and believe in it, that's fine. But I think it's also being used as a, as a kind of smokescreen to say, here's the magic wand that will enable us to reduce the carbon emissions and hit those deadlines and those targets. And that I think allows a sense of, a sense of complacency. It's like technology will fix it. And yes, we know technology is really important, but we also know that actually there does need to be fundamental changes in the way in which we approach, you know, approach life. You know, and part of that is about significantly reducing resource consumption amongst the richer countries. It's going to involve significantly changing travel habits. Whatever the innovation is. So I think something Richard said recently was around this thing about being being comfortable dealing with uncertainty. And I think there's something similar to that here, which is. Being comfortable with not exactly paradox, but two things which look incompatible or two things which look inconsistent, being able to say, yeah, that's not perfect, or we do need a major shift of lifestyles, but that's not for many companies, that's not something can, they can directly address. If you're a if you're a global marketing company, well, maybe it is, but no, it's not not something everyone can address. So just being able to sit with that comfortably without getting drawn into worrying about this stuff too much and think, okay, here's what we can do. Let's get on and do it.
1: Just reflecting on what you're saying there about holding those two things in your head. What I took from what Toby was saying around those two things and the way I reconcile it in my head is, as she says, the things are on the table that we need to do the vast majority of the job. I mean, we know how to decarbonize our energy use with renewables, Uh, sustainable agriculture, we know how to do. Toby talking about funding those big infrastructure projects. And again, we know where the, the climate emissions come in, all of those things. And also the social side of sustainability of people being exploited, the wages not being good, safety standards not being what they are, all of those things. And for me, where innovation sits is there will be some hard to, to tackle stuff that we don't have full solutions for at the moment. But yeah, I find this as well, that people can use that as a smoke stream. It's like, oh, but what about the that really difficult thing? And it's like, let's concentrate on that last 10% that's going to be really difficult. So we don't have to work on the 90% for which we have tools already. So that's how it balances out in my mind.
0: And I guess a lot of this innovation stuff is not about the technical innovation itself, it's about taking these things to market in the jargon. It's about getting it out there, getting it it in use and making it accessible.
1: Thinking about another thing that Toby talked about, which again, we've, we brought up in a lot of things that we've done in previous podcasts is about that by talking about these things, by taking these actions, by you know, picking up the tools on the table, by talking about the innovation, it connects with something. And, and one of the things that Toby said was, you know, when it was coming back from from other employees, internal employees were saying, Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh you know, what are you doing here? What's this going on? You're know, I'm really into this. I'm really interested in the topic when you start talking about it in the workspace, in ways that are about what you care about and passion, that that comes right back from other people.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a lovely story. I think what you're talking about there is when Toby was taking part in COP at Sharmul Sheik in, in, in yeah. Egypt a few years back, and she was doing this blog and like getting these messages back right away. It was just, yeah, I thought that was, that was brilliant. As you say, when you give people permission to talk about this stuff, because I think well you know, our culture is, I've said this so many times in different ways, but you know, our culture shuts us down from talking about sustainability and climate change and the stuff we care about, particularly in the professional space. I don't think you set out particularly to do that, but she had a very sort of legitimate reason. She was at the COP, she, she wrote stuff. So not all of us are going to be attending COP, but think about other opportunities to just bring this stuff up into conversation, whether it's just like putting something on the internet about some event that's happening that you're going to or something you've been to and you've been inspired by or something you think other people might be interested in. Just you know, finding any way in which you can just to- talk or write or whatever, you know, naturally about this stuff and just put it out there. And, yeah. you know, some people will go, yeah, not for me. And that's fine. Others will go, oh, well, I can go to that in, in work time. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah.
1: Create, just create those spaces. Yeah. I, like- I think... In many ways, when we talk about the sustainability leadership stuff, that for me, is when I started doing this, was one of the more challenging things, you know, coming from a background of of science and always wanting to talk about the facts and the peer-reviewed evidence because that was solid and testable and trying to bring in my authentic self into that piece of being able to talk about, well, this is why I'm really into the data. This is why I really care about it took a huge leap of confidence for me. And again, you know, in that professional banking space, where again, the stereotype of what the workplace is like is people are not talking from the heart. They're very much talking from the head. To to hear about that happening and to hear how the response came back was a, a really valuable reminder for me that actually every time I have done it, I've sort of opened up and spoken with passion about what I care about the positive response back. And I know others have been in this space and yeah, it's been Toby's experience as well.
0: Toby was talking about their chief data officer and how she approached them to start using AI. We talked about this a bit earlier, but one wouldn't expect in a stereotypical way, you think people are into data, they want the numbers, blah, blah, blah. And actually they're seriously interested in how they can use their skills, use their skills around AI to go out and scrape all this information that's out there and turn that into something that's useful for the organisation, useful for the client, useful for driving sustainability. Now we didn't quite pick up from Toby how much of that passion was an interest was around sustainability, or how much it was the technical challenge. But my hunch is it's actually a bit of both. So much of the stereotypes around you know, so people who care about sustainability in the environment is all they want to do is bang on about that stuff. And actually the real power is when that passion for sustainability is combined with skill and expertise and passion around their other professional roles or putting that stuff into practice, whether that's marketing or data or accounting, it doesn't matter. Like, How do you use those professional skills to drive this stuff forward. And it's, it's about melding those two things together, I think, is is what makes such a huge difference.
1: And I think back to you, we, Rich, we've all talked about this together in the past of people coming up to us who are very passionate about sustainability saying, I really care about sustainability. I want to work in sustainability. And thinking that you have to retrain and you become a sustainability expert and so on actually how do you bring your knowledge and expertise that's been hard won over your career years of experience and contribute that into the sustainability space rather than having to have some particular knowledge or expertise and that's what came through for me particularly in the story about the the data officer you know they have huge experience and the analytics and, and how you work with all of this stuff that a lot of people in a sustainability background might not necessarily have. And it was that collaboration and the combining of skills and knowledge and ability and experience that that really struck me in that one. And again, I think, one well, we can all take back into our own workplaces of, you know, those two key things never make the assumption that somebody isn't going to be interested and care about this. And, you know, whatever the skill set, it helps. You know, this needs to be a a systemic thing. So everywhere in the system, wherever that expertise exists, probably need it probably needed in some way, and it can be invited on in. So the other thing I wanted to
0: pick up, I just loved her story of her professional journey from starting out really young, helping develop those passive houses for this rich business person, and then getting involved in learning about policy. And it's like, what a journey, that thread that runs through all of that. She wants to be part of this narrative about creating businesses in a world that was better and more sustainable. It's so exciting to hear people's stories about why they're doing this stuff and what's inspired them. And the fact that people are doing this because they seriously care about it. We don't always hear about that. We hear about people talking about, yeah, we're doing all this great stuff and it's good for the business. So often all that personal concern and passion and care and angst and stuff gets gets stripped away. So It's the rational coming through all the time. It's taking us back to this idea that there's no point in doing anything unless there's a rational reason for it. It's just great to hear, hear Toby talking about that, working in this very, very rational space, but being so personally driven.
1: It's funny you picked that bit out because that was one of the key things that came up in the conversation when I met Toby. Think about things we talk about in in sustainability and, and driving that progress. The first place is finding common ground with others of your know, shared concern. That's quite often being that little spark, that little catalyst that has led to to really useful collaborations in the future. And again, we talk about stereotypes across so many different professions that people might think are are very logic driven. Once you ask that question, that passion, that care, that, that inner fire that people have that drives them forward so often comes out and it's, you know, that real human side of ourselves that we bring to what can be very head-driven workspaces, but the heart is always still there.
0: Yeah, and there's something else Sunday, which has just really occurred to me here, is that it's fascinating to hear these stories and we can sort of analyse them or whatever. But actually, what they're doing is sharing these stories, we are exposing some of our emotions, our feelings, we're hearing that from others, that's starting to create the conditions that are needed for trust. Absolutely. And, you know, collaboration is at the heart of sustainability. You cannot have effective collaboration without trust. And so I think any collaboration, there's creating those spaces early on in that process for these sorts of stories, people to talk about why they care, what they're doing, what drives them, and a whole lot of other stuff, which is about them as real humans. And you can start building up that level of trust, which is going to be so important later on.
1: Absolutely. And again, you're a big fan of the work of Brené Brown, and she has a great uh, TED Talk, I think it is, which is about the importance of vulnerability in building relationships, of opening ourselves up and sort of saying, this is what I care about, this is what I'm passionate about. And there's always the worry that other people will jump on it or laugh at it or reject it. But it's that vulnerability, being your authentic self, that, as you say, builds that trust. And, you know, thinking back to what Rich was saying about his team within PepsiCo, what drove it was trust. Okay, so
0: I'm thinking, we've talked about various stuff. I'm just wondering, should we just try and pull out three So takeaways from this. So I'll go first. So one thing that I think comes to me is when you have a chance to speak to people, ask about their stories, ask about what they're doing, find out where they're coming from and share from your own point of view as well. Just create those opportunities for sharing real stories and open up, get beyond the job title. So that's my first one. What about you?
1: I would say a key one for me is never make an assumption that whoever they are in the organization, whatever part of the organization that they are, working in that people won't be interested and won't care. And again, to slightly build on that, that they don't have a valuable skill set to contribute into this space. My experience is you find people of passion who care about this stuff everywhere. And all of those valuable skills can be contributed here.
0: Picking up on what Toby was talking about, she talked about writing her blogs from when she was at COP. She talked about Writing thought leadership pieces and stuff that was happening in the organization. If you're leading on sustainability in your organization, what are the the channels that already exist for you to do that? Here's some stuff I'm going to write about what I'm doing on sustainability or, or reporting back from conferences and bringing sustainability into it or whatever it is. So take those opportunities. And if they don't exist, start them.
1: Absolutely. And as a policy nerd, I'm going to go for this as one of mine that ratcheting effect of policies and regulations that are out there. And again, if in our workspaces, individuals, these may be big things that are coming in our sector, in our area, or it might be a a growing thing. But for me, I think they're always worth seeking out a leverage point that you can use to to begin to initiate action. So if there isn't much action going on in your space, it can be a starting point. And if there is a lot of action going on in your space, it can be that thing that pushes you to drive further and faster. So always worth seeking out.
0: Okay. I'm going to build on that. Toby's got a great story. And what she's shown is that policy doesn't just happen to us. Well, it often, it does just happen to us, but it needn't just happen to us. I think there's real opportunities and real benefit for people leading on sustainability in their organizations to actively engage with that policy process. And that could be as simple as getting involved with whatever the relevant committee or working group, whatever is in your trade association or your professional body and helping shape that policy so it's better and more fit for purpose and actually helps create the business environment, the operating environment. We need to do more of this stuff. Makes it easier for your business to do this without having to be fighting off the cowboys and the snake oil merchants. So yeah, get involved in policy at whatever level you can. Personally, I think some of that stuff's mind-blowingly boring, those sort of committees, but there must be ways of doing this which feel feel more productive, but you're the expert on that.
1: I've been doing it for 20 years, and yeah, I love getting stuck into that kind of stuff, but I realise it's not for everyone. But if, if it is your disposition, the policies are made by the people who turn up, so turn up would be my message on that one if you can. So... Okay. Given that you go with a very practical point there, I am going to finish with a bit more of a philosophical one. And I know it's something we've spoken about before and many of the people we work with wrestle with, which is the, the eco-anxiety and the thinking that no matter how much we do, it isn't enough. And just listening to Toby and what she's talking about there, just always hang on to the fact that whatever you're working, whatever you're doing, you're part of the rising tide here. The tide of sustainability is rising. As we've talked about, people might not think it's happening in high finance and here we hear that it's the how much is. And it's happening in all these places. So hang on to that. Whatever you're doing might feel like a, a drop in a bucket. It's a drop for the bucket. But the more you get out there and hear about what other people are doing, where this is coming forward, for me, I always find that an immensely empowering, invigorating and re-energizing thing to remember that I am just part of this rising tide across society. So that for me is a really important one to hang to.
0: Yeah, nice. And I think that's another sort of way of looking at that, I think is thinking this. uh, I can't remember where this came from. I can remember the, the context exactly. It was when we were running an action learning program and We're having this workshop and there was a big whiteboard and I think it was, that was you or somebody else, but you drew this thing on the whiteboard of like sort of a nice sort of straight line and then a big sort of loopy bit in the middle and then another straight line. And it was like this idea of change is always messy. Whatever you're doing, any sort of change, there's this messy bit in the middle.
1: uh, The messy in the middle, I remember that. Yeah, anyway,
0: there's this mess in the middle. In a sense of this bigger journey to sustainability, this transition to a fairer, greener world. That's where we are at the moment. You know, it is confusing. It is messy. We've got all sorts of horrendous stuff going on in politics. And you know, we must be
1: sort of realising, well, yeah, that's sort of, almost that's inevitable. Absolutely. Never in the history of forever has systemic change been a straight line, linear process. There's always been a mess in the middle. So yeah, totally agree with you. Being comfortable with ambiguity, uncertainty, things changing and a dynamic system. But knowing that as you intervene into that system, each intervention changes the system. And the more sustainability interventions, the more that sort of tumbling, tangled web of change pushes in a particular direction. We could carry on forever, but I think we'll
0: just stop here. It's been great having this chat more. I right? really interesting to... Hear your take on some of the stuff that Toby was saying that hadn't occurred to me, and taking these conversations in a bit of a different direction.
1: No, it's been really good fun, and again, huge thanks to Toby for for being interviewed and sharing all of that and giving us such great stuff to talk about. So thanks very much.
0: And there you have it. You'll find a summary of the insights and opportunities in the show notes at realized.earth/slash one one one. I hope you found that interesting and useful. If you have. Please recommend the podcast to your colleagues and in your networks. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and I hope this episode of Leadership for Sustainability will help you lead on sustainability in your organisation. You'll find additional resources, masterclasses, and programmes on our website at realize.earth. What you're doing is so important now more than ever. Keep up the good work and be sure to look after yourself. Bye for now.